Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Okay, everybody, welcome to another Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. So happy to have you on board here today. A very, very exciting guest. You know him, NFL, college, all about everything. CBS analyst Charles Davis joins us. Charles, so happy to have you on the podcast. We focus mostly on Boston College in New England, but we'd love to have a national perspective, and we thank you uh, for joining us. Well, Mike, thank you for having me, and it's so much fun to talk with you this way. I mean, we've worked as colleagues in the booth for a while now, so this is kind of cool. I think a lot of people know or may not know that you do a lot of a lot of games, whether it's college or pro, and you work in the TV booths with a lot of people in a variety of capacities. You do stats, you do stage managing. I could go on for days, but the best part <laughs> is you're just a great colleague, a great guy to be around. And it makes the day go better. And, you know, I think I told you before our last playoff game, it was cool to walk in and see you there. For some reason, it's a good thing for me. So thank you so much for having me on your show. And as soon as I heard Chestnut Hill, I got a big smile on my face because I am I grew up in New York State. So I was around for the formation of the Big East. Wow. And I always heard, you know, and, and from Chestnut Hill, you know, and it, here comes BC and someone. So. That was always cool for me. And, you know, that's a great segue to start this podcast. I always like to show people's life stories. You're from, I hope I'm pronounced right, is it New Paltz, New York High School? New, 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 New Paltz, New York. Yeah, you're pretty darn close. Mid-Hudson Valley, two hours north of New York City, an hour south of Albany. A lot of people might know Kingston, Poughkeepsie, Newburgh, yes. Middletown, that area. So we were in Ulster County, and we were surrounded by Sullivan, Orange, and Dutchess County. So... A wonderful place to grow up. You know, I always said there's about 3,000 people when I was growing up. I've been corrected by people. But I like the sound of 3,000, but it's probably around 4,000 <laughs> growing up. So you got to add that to it. And now I think it's somewhere around 20,000. I think a lot of people have discovered my little bird. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. I remember going to a wedding in Kings, Kingston, New York. So it's really, really cool. All right, let's talk about your career quarterback, All-State, junior, senior year football. I, first of all, what other sports did you play in high school? And just talk about your high school experience. Yeah, my high school experience was wonderful. I was lucky enough, you know, as I mentioned, just growing up in a town small enough that you know everyone and everyone knows you. You know, my, my mom was a uh, teacher's aide there for the migrant daycare center because you had a lot of migrant workers. You have a lot of people who worked apple season, my, my hometown area. I think I had three high school teammates whose families owned apple orchards. Wow. You know? And so those people would pick apples in the fall, and, and, and then in the summertime, they'd be down in Florida picking oranges. And so you had a lot of people go back and forth. And then eventually, many people would settle in the area. So my mom worked there. My dad was a teacher at New Paltz High, a teacher and a coach. And he also coached Division three basketball, junior college basketball, the whole deal. And I ended up playing high school basketball for him. So you mentioned other sports. I played high school basketball, high school baseball, and high school football. So wow. small towns tend to have that, right? Every able-bodied male on deck, which <laughs> can you play, and how many of them can you play? And beauty was your coaches were essentially the same too, you know? My high school football 
offensive coach, right? Coach me, coach my quarter, you know, a quarterback or what have you. He also was my baseball coach, you know, wow. <laughs> and you just go right down the line with that, you know, assistant football coach, head baseball coach, the high school, my high school football coach, John Ford at one point was coaching basketball. We can go on and on. Those days, not quite the same, but for me, I, I talk about now, but for me, yeah. idyllic back then. And my teammates were the same across the spectrum. I played with a lot of guys, football, basketball, baseball. Wrestling was also very popular at my school. Uh, Kimball Motter was our head coach, and he'd been an All-American wrestler in college, I think at Kutztown State in Pennsylvania. Wow. And his brother Andy was head coach at Penn State at the time. And you know what a power they are now under Cale Sanderson. So it was always a lot of fun. It was a wonderful upbringing. It was terrific. And even though I didn't wrestle, you know, we knew when wrestling season began, Mike. How's that? When the first wrestler passed out in class because they'd wear those wet rubber suits underneath their clothes trying to cut weight. <laughs> and, of course, they wouldn't eat and they'd get weak and one guy would pass out in class. Oof. And the teacher, they, wouldn't, they didn't even blink. they just like, ah, call the nurse, tell Coach Motter, you know, such and such just passed out. And <laughs> off we went. <laughs> That's how we knew wrestling season was on. But to give, to give my classmates credit, they were a powerhouse. Boy, were they good at what they did. And, and we tried to emulate that in all of our other sports. We were good in football. We got good in basketball. Um, my first coach, Jeff Acker, got us good again. And then my dad took it the rest of the way where we became a, a uh, postseason uh, fixture for, for a couple of years there. And then in baseball, we weren't bad either. So under Coach Freer, uh, Bill Freer. So a lot of fun back in the good old days. So how did you decide then to focus on football? And then how did Tennessee come calling? How did that whole process go for you, uh, the college selection process? Yeah, let me try and nutshell it. You know, at that time in my school, and I don't know if it's, I don't know that it's quite the same now. Um, we'd never had a Division One football player from New Paul Todd. We'd have plenty of guys go and play, you know, Division Two, Division Three, that sort of a deal. Um, I had a couple of teammates who played at Ithaca when they were a flat out power under Jack Butterfield and played, I think, twice for national championships in Amos Alonzo Stag Bowl. Um, and they were excellent football players. Uh, but I was lucky enough that, that for whatever reason, I had enough talent that other people were looking. And my mom's from East Tennessee, a place called Elizabeth in Tennessee. That's where I was born, Carter County Hospital, the old Carter County Hospital, although the new one now is probably 50 years old. But you know, <laughs> the old Carter County Hospital, that's where I was born. Um, my dad's from West Virginia. Um, so I had a lot of interest in, in, in Tennessee and I saw Condridge Holloway play quarterback there when I was eight or nine years wow. old in, in 1974 season over against UCLA. And even as a little kid in New York, I realized watching a black quarterback in the SEC, I knew that was different. Gotcha. I knew it wasn't the norm. And my dad was a college quarterback at a HBCU called Bluefield State in West Virginia since integrated throughout football. I think they brought that back last year for the first time. And I remember watching that day and going, wow, this is unbelievable. And Condridge was great. And I ended up telling my dad that day, I'm going to go to Tennessee and fly. Well, then I get into high school and everything happens. And we have no idea. Me, Coach Ford, none of us have really real true idea. Am I good enough to be a Division One player? I have no idea. So we wrote two letters, one to the University of Missouri. Remember a guy named Phil Bradley? Very he was a quarterback. And then later on went to the uh, Major League Baseball and was a great player in, in MLB, probably had about a 10-year career, and Tennessee, because I love Tennessee. Never heard back from Missouri. Tennessee said, hey, send film, we'll evaluate you. Fortunately, they thought I was good enough, and that's how the whole process began. And So I was recruited by a number of places, 
But I ended up picking Tennessee. Now, were you intimidated going to the SEC from upstate New York? Or, and how did that all, when you first got to the campus at, in Knoxville? You know, it's funny. When you say SEC now, it's a whole different connotation. The SEC has always been a power. Let's not, let's not get it twisted, right? Obviously. But I grew up in New York State, and college football wasn't a huge deal. Penn State was the resident college football team for just about anyone in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, <laughs> the whole Mideast. You I mean, may make some of my fans upset with Boston College. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. I mean, no offense to Joe Notre Paterno. State, no offense to Syracuse, no offense to any of them. But they all fought the same deal, whether it was Syracuse, BC, Penn State, whoever, Rutgers, they were all fighting the same deal, which was the pros. In the Northeast, the pros rule. Yes. Okay. Well, whoever it was, the Patriots for you guys, you know, the, the Jets and the Giants where I was growing up, you know, the Bills came into play upstate. You know, Syracuse had to battle the Bills. Eastern football wasn't seen the same. Yes. I mean, you can go back and check. Penn State was a powerhouse for a long time, and Joe Paterno didn't win a national championship until later in his career, even though he had undefeated teams. They'd always think someone else was better because Eastern football didn't get the respect. So for me, the West Coast was a big deal. USC, UCLA, the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan. And obviously I'm leaving teams off. I'm not trying to do that deliberately. But that's what you saw on your TV because back when I was a kid, you saw one game a week. Wow. You know, it, that didn't, this TV thing we're seeing now didn't exist. So you get one game a week. And where I grew up, you heard a lot about Army because they were an hour away and they actually threw the ball around and they weren't even running option under Homer Smith <laughs> and his quarterback, Lehman Hall. And they called it the air assault. <laughs> Lehman Hall was so smart as a quarterback that he dated his head coach, Homer Smith's daughter and married her. Talk about job security. That's a smart <laughs> young man right there. <laughs> So that's what I had going on. Was I intimidated? I think like most kids then, yes, to an extent, because you gave, you gave great deference to upperclassmen when you went to school. I don't think it's the same way now. Kids are precocious now, and I don't mean in a bad way. Kids do national things starting at 10, 11, 12 years old. Wow. They know each other across the country. They go to the same camps. They play on national television in high school. They take plane trips to play games. For us, an hour away was a huge trip. What? We're going to play them an hour away? And everything then, Mike, was mythical. You heard about this guy, but you didn't see this guy. Oh, I see. Nowadays, you yeah. see him all on tape. So, YouTube. yeah, I was a little bit intimidated going in. So I ended up redshirting my first year. And then after I was fortunate enough to start for four years in Tennessee. What sticks out from your college career? What was your favorite moment? You had some good teams. You had some big wins. I know against Alabama. Uh, what stuck out in the volunteer program? I could go through so many things. Listen, I played for Johnny Majors a college football Hall of Fame football player. Um, he's not in as a coach because of the 60% rule, but he built programs at Iowa State. He built Pitt into a national power in the East Coast and won a national championship. He resurrected Tennessee during his time there. Wonderful, wonderful. How lucky was I to play for him? To play for Johnny Majors was a big deal for me. And Lee Majors, who was the $6 million man, the actor when I was growing up, oh. he literally took his stage name because he had watched Johnny Majors play growing up. And that's why he became Majors. And the funny part is they became friends. And he used to come to games and the whole deal. So that was kind of cool. But, you know, for me, we won the, we won the SEC in my junior year. And it's always cool to talk with my teammates and realize we were part of the class that helped bring Tennessee all the way back. That was our first SEC championship in 16 years. And our people were starved for it. We were starved for it. 
And then we beat Miami, who was number two in the country at the time, in the Sugar Bowl, 35-7. to seven. And if they had beaten us, they would have won a national title because that was the old bowl system. Yes. They had beaten Oklahoma. Oklahoma was playing Penn State in the Orange Bowl. When Oklahoma beat Penn State, if Miami had beaten us head-to-head, Miami would have won the vote and been the national champions. We beat them 35-7 and knocked them out of a national title. And we finished number four in the country. So I could give you a million different moments, but team, collective, that has to be the best because that's why you go to school to try and win a championship. And you, So you had a lot of success. So then the NFL came calling, the draft. Just talk about how that whole process went and how you decided to get into broadcasting uh, from there after that point. Yeah. Yeah, the NFL draft wasn't the greatest wasn't the greatest thing in the world for me, Mike, because <laughs> back then there were 12 rounds. And at the end of 12 rounds, no one had called me. <laughs> <laughs> I was the guy left waiting by the phone. Were so you surprised? I, I think I was surprised because when I looked across the board and I saw the number of people who were drafted and thought, heck, I'm a four-year starter on really good teams and, and had some good success there. I had some injury issues in college, uh, shoulders, things of that nature. That may have hurt me a little bit. Um, for whatever reason, though, people found me lacking. Now, my speed might have been an issue. My, 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 you know, my overall athleticism may have been an issue. You have to ask different scouts and different people. But I wish I could tell them that they were totally wrong. But I can't because of this reason, Mike. I didn't get drafted, and it hurt me so much personally that when I did get a free agent opportunity with the Dallas Cowboys – I did not prepare for it the way I should have. Was I in shape? Absolutely. That wasn't an issue. Like I, I, it wasn't like I failed any conditioning tests. Okay. Was I mentally prepared? Sure. I knew football. I knew I was ready to go, but if you're an undrafted free agent, you have to go in with a single minded focus at this. This is all there is. This is all that it's about. And I think I still carried the hurt with me of not being drafted. So my immaturity hurt me in my opportunity and when I got cut by the Cowboys, that was it. I went back to school. I was going to finish up grad school because I graduated in four years, played my fifth year, uh, my redshirt year as a grad student. So I was going back to school. But as I discovered, as I got older, it keeps nagging at me. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah, I'm firmly convinced, Mike, that when, when, when they close the lid on my coffin, my last thought, my last words are going to be, I should have prepared better for the Cowboys tryout. And that's what fuels me today because I will never be unprepared again. I will never not be ready to go and have that focus that I need for the assignment that I'm given. You may be better than me, but you will not outwork me. You will not outprepare me. You will not do those things. You may prove yourself and and remember our business objective. So one person likes this, boy. you know what I'm saying now? That way you're not going to get me. And it's all because I didn't do it when I should have when I came out of college and had a tryout with the Cowboys. So I'll never know if I was good enough or not because I didn't give myself enough of an opportunity. Did you, re- did you realize then you weren't prepared or did you kind of think about it afterward? Did it take many years to think about that? You know what I'm saying? Mike, I think there was a part of me that knew going in. Yeah. But the biggest part of me learned it later. Gotcha. And that's the thing I take with me. And I tell kids this all the time. I'll be on, look, you can go back and find the, the, the video of me on draft coverage on the last day when we get down to round seven, giving the same speech every year. Hey, if you don't get drafted, that's not the end of the world. And give them my experience. Gotcha. And how many times do we turn on the TV and turn on the Pro Bowl, those who still watch the Pro Bowl, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but you see guys who are named Pro Bowl, All Pro. 
how many of them do you see that have undrafted free agent next to them? A lot more than you would ever expect. No so question. being drafted isn't the be-all, end-all. Being undrafted isn't the be-all, end-all. And I allowed it to be. That's on me. But again, in the rest of my life, that will never happen again. And I try and impart that wisdom to others in my, my message and my experiences with it. So that's what happened with me there. Getting into broadcasting, I'll make it very quick. I worked for a living. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to get into that. That's interesting. Yeah, I was an intern in the Southeastern Conference office coming out of, you know, I interned in the athletic director's office of Tennessee to finish up my graduate degree. So I'm an undergrad in political science, master's in history. So to get that done, I interned in the athletic director's office. Doug Dickey was our, was our athletic director, Coach Dickey. But he gave me a great opportunity to do that. Then I interned the Southeastern Conference Office of the Commissioner. Dr. Wow. Harvey W. Schiller was the commissioner at the time. He and his staff there, phenomenal. I could name names, but I would take up too much time. My apologies to everyone who helped me along the way. <laughs> then I coached football at the University of the Pacific under Walt Harris as the head coach. Um, Hugh Jackson was, was, a, was the running backs coach on that staff. Um, John Gruden was the tight ends coach and my roommate on that staff. Really? Oh. Yeah, so, you know, those guys went on and did a few – did a few things along the way, and then I just kind of fell off the pace a little bit. Um, and then I went and worked at the uh, United States Olympic Committee, started out as an intern and became the director of the Olympic Training Center, worked at Stanford University as an assistant athletic director, worked at Disney Sports as a, 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 a program manager, and then as a director of the PGA Tours, uh, their PGA Tour golf tournament, as the first ever black uh, uh, tournament director in PGA Tour history. So from there, I got into broadcasting and got in as a total fluke. Someone thought I could do it. Mark Whitworth is his name. He gave my name to someone. They had it for two years. They got desperate, called me. And that's how it got started. And once I had the bug, I knew that's something I wanted to pursue. And all the things I didn't do to prepare for a tryout with the Cowboys, I did from that moment going forward to try and be where we are today, where you and I are talking. So that's how I got into it. But my background was working, you know, my background was sports, but it wasn't broadcasting. I mean, my, as you heard, I'm not a communications major, nothing like that. Yeah. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's, and that's very interesting, just not to go over each one, but just to talk about the different things you did. At any point when you're working at Stanford, coaching Pacific, did you ever think at all that you might want to one day be on CBS, or was it just totally out of your, you were just going day by day and seeing what happens? No, that was something I always wanted to do, but I didn't know how to get into it. Gotcha. I didn't know there was really an opportunity you know i did some stuff at tennessee when i was in school um a, a college classmate named mike moore had a long career at espn he got me started there all right and i did a few things there for what we called utv okay right? okay <laughs> <For the> tennessee <laughs> television right and then um my boss at the, at the sec dr harvey w schiller he knew about my aspirations he introduced me to some people at turner and did, took me around and you know, tried to get me in front of the right people and it just nothing ever really fit. And it just took that fluke down the road to reignite that spark. But I, Mike, let's just be honest about it. I think I speak for anyone who's watching the Zoom right now who sits at home and watches all of us do our thing. 
and sits there and says, you know something, I can do that. <laughs> and I don't ever tell them that they can't because that's how it starts. You sit at home, you say, God, you know, listening to him or listening to her, I think I can do that. You know, I, I'm calling the plays before they are. And it's not always a bad thing. A lot of people want to make it like it's a bad thing. It's not. But do you get an opportunity? Can you do it when it's really for real? Can you do all that? Can you learn and grow? I was fortunate enough to get that opportunity, and here I am today. And you've had, once you got to broadcast, too, I was looking at the jobs. You worked a radio in Orlando, Jefferson Pilot, AFL, uh, a AFL football there, the March Madness NCAAs, Golf Channel. You were everywhere in those early days of your broadcasting career, I'm sure getting a lot of reps. Absolutely. And you just nailed it. Reps, you know, like anything, doesn't matter what the job is, does not matter what we do, does not matter, you know, what's your profession. Don't we all get better the more times we do something? Yeah, no question right? about it. If, if we're doing it right, we learn how to do it better. We learn how to do it more efficiently. We might change something the next time. We might continue to do something that we learn that works. You name it, right? Pick your profession and apply that to what you do. So if you're listening to us and watching us, just think about your job. How do I get better? How do I do this? How do I do that? Who do you seek out that helps you? Who do you bounce ideas off of? It's all the same thing, right? Reps, 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 reps. So Mike, my reps, literally, Little League Baseball, Pop Warner Football, AAU Basketball, all the way through. I've worked on the lower levels, I've worked sidelines of high school game, high school football games. Um, I've called high school football games. I remember I called a game for Frank Gores in wow. high school, where he fumbled three times in the first quarter and still ran for over 300 yards that night. So wow. I could go on all day with that. Listen, I've done women's volleyball. I've done girls' softball. I've done you know men's baseball. I was the analyst for SEC Game of the Week in college baseball for one season because Larry Conley, who normally did it, one of the great announcers and former great player at Kentucky in baseball and, and, and basketball, he was ill that year. So they asked me to fill in for him. So you could find tape somewhere, probably, I don't advise it, but you could find them <laughs> where I was calling SEC baseball <laughs> in the game of the week with Dave Neal and doing that. And, you know, it's, it's just been a blast. And basketball, I've been an analyst, I've been a sideline person, football analyst, sideline person, uh, volleyball, as I mentioned, I did analyst, which is probably a farce. I've done some golf stuff. I had, you know, I was co-host of a, a golf show called the uh, uh, Great Goose 18th Hole on the Golf Channel. Gotcha. I have been fortunate, but you nailed it right in the beginning. Reps. The more reps, the more opportunities, the better you get, the more comfortable you get, the better you prepare. And I think all of those experiences propelled me to where you and I are talking here in this here today. And this last couple of minutes here, for me, tell me if I'm wrong. I think your big break was that 2007 uh, Fiesta Bowl, Boise State, Oklahoma. I, I feel like that's when you were on the national stage. I, just your thoughts on that, or maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe something else, but uh, just that game itself. That kind of well, that's where I think I really first heard about you. Yeah, I think that you're right about that. I don't think there's any question about it. Had I done national stuff before, sure. You know, you mentioned the NCAA tournament. I was a sideline person for the NCAA tournament. CBS gave me a great opportunity. Um, I did games for Turner Sports and college football, and then they used me as a sideline person during the NBA playoffs. I'd worked the first couple of rounds. So they gave me a chance. But you're right. My biggest break was Ed Gorin, David Hill, giving me a phone call from Fox Sports and offered me an opportunity to join their group and do the BCS. And they had acquired the rights to the BCS. And our first game was Boise State, Oklahoma. <laughs> Tom Brennan, play-by-play. -play. 
Chris Myers on the sidelines, myself and Coach Barry Alvarez in the booth. And it was my big break. And whether it was good or bad, some people thought it was horrendous. Some people thought it was okay. I think what would get what nailed it for me was down the stretch when Boise had gotten into overtime or Oklahoma had made it gotten into overtime with Boise, I should say, because Boise led the whole way. When Boise scored in overtime and before they scored, I said on air, if they score, they're going to go for two because they just had the look of a team like we can't keep slugging with Oklahoma. We've done it. We got to get out of here. And they scored, went for two, got it on the Statue of Liberty play with Ian Johnson. And I'll never forget after the game, Ed Gorin, one of my my great mentors, he and David Hill and and, and Bill O'Brien, the deuce, those guys believed in me and brought me in. He pulled me aside and said, when I heard you predict them going for two, I said, Charles, old Charles has pushed them all into the middle of the table, hasn't he? And that let me know that, whoa, if that had gone wrong, who knows what would happen. <laughs> but part of this whole world experience is sometimes you got to know when to take a chance. And I felt like I was on really solid ground because of what I knew in football, having been there before, feeling the moment. And I took a chance and it all worked out. I think that helped me a lot. That's a great story. Great story. And now also, too, you're doing the CBS, of course. We'll get to that in a second. But also, a lot of people know you from Madden, too. Just quickly okay. talk about that, how that whole experience is. And, of course, we lost John Madden this year. But just the video game and your life with that, too. Yeah, it's humbling because, you know, you talk about a franchise that so many people play, so many people know. And you and I both know Coach Madden is Coach Madden. But there's a whole multiple generations of people who don't even know he was a football coach. Yes. You know, they know him as a broadcaster and they know him from the video game. So to be a part of his franchise and what he put together and what he created is extremely humbling. Myself, my partner, Brandon Godden, who does the play by play on it. We understand that every time we go in, we have a responsibility to try and do it the best we can for all the incredible numbers of people who play this game and care about this game. And, you know, we're not going to get it right every time, but I hope everyone understands we are giving you our best efforts. We are absolutely <laughs> doing that. We're in our seventh year. Wow. And for us, that's 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 off the charts. But again, Bayamish and Coach Madden, as you mentioned, we just lost him. But his franchise will endure forever, I believe. And to know that we're a teeny tiny part of it. And the last thing I'll say is I've worked BCS. I've done NFL playoffs. I've done big time bowl games. I've been lucky, right? First time I ever got street cred from my son, who's now 23, is when I told him I'm getting a Madden franchise. First time he ever jumped up, hugged me, thought it was a really big deal. The rest of it was like, okay, great. Madden? Oh, that meant something. So I learned a lot about the franchise just from his reaction. And the whole younger generation now, your household name. No doubt about it. All right, Charles, last question for me. When you're not busy, when you're not working, what what do you do in your free time? What do you like to do for fun? Just hanging out. I love to read. I'm a big reader and I don't read during the season because as you know, as you prepare for your games, we're in the same boat, right? We're reading game notes. We're reading articles. You know, we're reading all these things that come about getting us ready for the game. So I have to take my pleasure reading, kind of put it to the side because once I dive into pleasure reading, you've lost me for a while. (laughs) And I'm a big, you know, I'm a big fiction guy. I know, you know, believe me, I read enough nonfiction in trying to prepare for what I do, try and get better at what I do, those sorts of things. But you give me fiction, you give me my authors like a Harlan Coben, you give me a Brad Thor, you give me a Jack Carr, you give me those people, you give me a Lisa Scottolini, 
I'm locked in. It's done. Finished. <laughs> but I'm also lucky enough, as I said, when I read the nonfiction, you know, my colleague at CBS Sports, Amy Trask, wrote an incredible book, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and her book was, I think the title was you throw like a girl or you or you negotiate like a girl or something like that. Amy was the president of the Oakland Raiders, the Los Angeles Raiders, the now Las Vegas Raiders. She broke so many chains, so many things. And I admire her. And her book is just off the charts. Great. You know, my friend Don McPherson wrote a book about how men need to be better and how we need to be better in our society and how we need to relate to people. I just love to read and I love to learn. But, you know, when you're reading these things, Michael Eric Dyson, when anything he writes, I have to grab it and read it because he's going to make me better and make me think about things. But you give me some fiction. I'm knocking down the latest Harlan Coben right now. And anytime wow. Harlan Coben writes, I am there. And I've been lucky enough to meet a few of these people and their process and their work ethic. I think they're things that apply for me too. So I try to learn from them. And I love that too, because I would never have known you're the fiction guy. You know, I just, that's why I love asking those questions. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I absolutely do. And as I said, I'm just so lucky that, that there've been so many people out there have been so good to me. You know, Brad Thor has been phenomenal to me. Uh, Harlan Coben, Lisa Scottolini, they've all been absolutely great to me. And, you know, my old colleague, Mike Mayock, you know, he, he's turned me on to a few of these people as well. And Lisa Scottolini's a, a Philly, a Philly girl, right? So she's from that area, and a lot of what she writes is that. Actually, the first time I met her, I showed up at a book signing in Nashville. Just by chance, she was there, and I saw it. And I showed up that night just so I could say I, I got a chance to meet Lisa Scottolini, oh. and we had been exchanging. And so she knew me because she's a sports fan. She's a big Eagles fan. Okay. And okay. We talked for a little bit, and I picked up the phone and called my friend Mike. I said, "Hey, Mike, you're not going to believe this. Guess who I just met?" I just met you. I just met your author, Lisa Scottolini. And the words he said back to me, I can't say on a family show like this right here. But he was like, I'm from Philly and I haven't met her yet. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's what it's all about. Mike, these people have been so incredibly wonderful to me, not just with what they put out there in their writing and what I'm getting from that and that enjoyment. But if I've been lucky enough to meet them, they've been very giving of themselves in terms of answering my questions and just being tolerant of my 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 fandom because i i go total fanboy okay there's no getting around it's like i said oh, oh, oh. i just you know to me authors writers they're my rock stars so you know how people grew up saying you know this this person my my, my rock idol and all that yeah people are my rock stars wow well, you know? well but, and by the way jack carr you're next, man. Okay, I have to meet Jack Carr because his 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 series about James Reese, dude, go get them because they are phenomenal. And one last guy, if you haven't met, read Matthew Bentley, read read Matthew Bentley. He's an up and comer, and boy, he's good. Wow, that's a source of knowledge. That's pretty good right there. <laughs> well, Charles, we appreciate you taking the time too. I feel like I could talk for another thirty minutes, but we really appreciate it. A lot of fun, and a lot, I think the fans will appreciate learning the, the different aspects of you. So, really appreciate yeah, it. I appreciate it a bunch. And look, somewhere in my basement in New Boston, New York, where my dad still lives, there's a big thing of, of recruiting stuff and all. And I still have bumper stickers that say "Fly with the Eagles" that I got from BC. <laughs> there so, you go. There you go. Hopefully, they'll be back on track soon. Here we go. <laughs> Well, Jeff Halfley's doing a really nice job. Well, the next podcast we'll get you on. We'll talk about the Eagles more. <laughs> Sounds good. Look forward to it. Okay, Charles, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. 
CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com.